Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Great Old Ones Gaming. I am your host, Nate, and today I'm joined with my fellow co-host, The Man From Lang. How are you, Man From Lang? I'm good, thank you. And with us today is a very special guest. We have the creative director for the Call of Cthulhu RPG at Chaosium, Mike Mason. Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, hi. It's a, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure. For those in the audience who may not know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and your initial brushings with the mythos. Oh, okay. Well, uh, as you said, I'm the uh, creative director at uh, Chaosium for the Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game, which basically means I do a number of things. I, I manage the line. I look after it. I, I, I guess I'm kind of the lead writer, but I also co-write and so forth. I'm you know, the line editor and uh, art director and so forth. Um, so I kind of, you know, even if I don't write the whole book, uh, I, you know, I work on pretty ev- pretty much every book in the Cthulhu line to make sure it kind of fits the Chaosium style and does what it needs to do and says what it needs to say. And uh, and then work with artists to, you know, make it pretty and look fantastic and uh, and kind of get it out there. I um, I co-wrote the, the latest edition of the game, the seventh edition rules with my uh, friend Paul Fricker, uh, some years ago now and uh you know seventh edition came out and has kind of revitalized the game somewhat and uh has brought in a whole uh, boatload of uh, new players into the game and pe- people that played it before many years ago and have returned to the game since because the game is um well we just passed our 40th anniversary for the game so it's a you know, it's an old game now in that sense but uh it's still um it's still got plenty of blood inside it and is uh is uh, chugging along and uh yeah i mean i've been i've been working for occasion for uh, n- nearly 10 years i guess working on call of cthulhu prior to that i um you know, in between doing jobs in the real world i uh, i also uh, worked at games workshop and um my uh, kind of final role at games workshop was working as the black industries manager which was their tabletop role-playing and board games uh, division uh, and uh, so I, uh, while I was there, I was kind of looking after Warmer Fantasy Roleplay and Talisman, the board game. Uh, but probably the most significant thing I did while I was doing that was co-author the um, 40k role-playing game Dark Heresy, which then spawned uh, various kind of iterations like Ro- uh, Rogue Trader and so on. Um, and I've kind of been, you know, around the peripheries of the gaming industry for a little while, doing freelance work and, and so forth. But um, I kind of washed washed upon the shore of Chaosium and uh, have been there ever since. Seems like your tendrils are all through the Call of Cthulhu line nowadays. <laughs> it it does, does seem to be that way. <laughs> I also heard, uh, I, can't, I can't remember if it was the good friends of Jackson Elias or in a recent episode of the Modern Mythos that you had done with Seth and John. Uh, but I also heard that you were an, a bit of an actor as well in your early days. Oh, cracky. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh, I uh, I actually did uh, theatre and drama at university. I have a kind of degree in drama and uh, directing and acting and that kind of thing. But I, I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, back in the day, I used to do a bit of uh, acting work here and there. I you know, did uh, extra work on some feature films. And uh, and for many years, I, um, I was with a group of, uh, well, murder mystery uh, a murder mystery group so we would do kind of murder mystery kind of audience participation kind of events and 
I always ended up being the murderer. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like your your career in acting melds very well with what you do now, Mike. Um, but as you said, the Call of Cthulhu RPG recently celebrated its 40th anniversary. And I think while many in our audience are at least aware of the game, in your words, Mike, what makes Call of Cthulhu the game that it is? And like, what what separates it from a game like D&D? Or what separates it from other Mythos games like Arkham Horror or Delta Green? In, in, a, in, in one sense, um, Call of Cthulhu is, is quite different to... Uh, you know, D&D and many other kind of uh, traditional role-playing games, and that um, rather than your character effectively turning into a superhero by levelling up and, you know, starting fairly weak, but getting to 10th level and being to slay mighty dragons with a single, you know, shake of their sword, Call of Cthulhu, you play, I guess, kind of normal people. You play kind of uh, average, average people in a mirror of the real world, whether that's in the modern day or the roaring 1920s or Victorian gaslight or, or whenever, but you are in a kind of a model of the real world. And, um, and so you're playing regular folk who are thrust into challenging, exciting and scary situations that they've got to kind of deal with. And um, and with the, the presence of the Cthulhu mythos, as a kind of the the undercurrent running through the kind of setting, you're dealing with these kind of ancient alien horrors that humanity can't really comprehend and, and doesn't really understand. And the more kind of contact and the more you learn about this Cthulhu mythos, the kind of kind of weaker you become. It's kind of the reverse of uh, that kind of power fantasy kind of game, uh, where your character actually, you know, while you can improve your skills and get better at doing certain things. Overall, you kind of have this downward spiral as a character, which is a kind of a mirror to, you know, the horror trope. You know, in a horror film, people survive, maybe they don't, you know, but it's this kind of downward spiral that kind of uh, really kind of cements what the game is about. Um, And um, the other thing that kind of, you know, I guess really set it apart when it first came out, and it's probably a little less so now, but... Call of Cthulhu is very much a story-based game. It's very much about a plot and uh, having events happen that the characters interact with and, and obviously build their own story and their, you know, their version of the plot. But it is very story-based. It it's really is about telling telling these fantastic stories and, and kind of enjoying them as you do. Um, whereas, you know, many of the games aren't really about a story in that way. They are about upping the power of your character as your main motivator or, you know, piling through a set of rooms or a dungeon or whatever and, you know, stealing treasure and whatever. Well, that's the kind of, that's a story, but it's the same story you kind of tell every time. Whereas Call of Cthulhu, every story is different. Every scenario has got a different plot and different characters and, and, you know, the, the NPCs, uh, you know, really interact with the story in that way. You know, things happen, even if the uh, investigators don't progress things, the, the rest of the world carries on and they find themselves, you know, lagging behind and, and uh, you know, finding the, the bad guys, uh, you know, are continuing with their plan, you know, even if the investigators sort of stand idly by. So they have to kind of engage, otherwise, you know, the bad guys win the day effectively. Finally, the third part of my answer would be in terms of other kind of mythos games. Well, Call of Cthulhu was the first one. Call of Cthulhu was the one that really kind of, uh, it was the first role-playing game that was really 
at its heart a horror mystery game and you know has and to be quite frank is is the template and the basis for every other game that purports to use a Cthulhu mythos in some way has been in part inspired by or a reaction to Call of Cthulhu uh, this is the kind of you know the granddaddy of it all the grandfather uh, and um you know, is the is the one that uh, you know is predominantly the most uh, well known, most played, and it's so and it's one of the most flexible still because it allows you to play pretty much in any kind of time or setting that you want to do, whether it's as I say, modern day or nineteen twenties or the dark ages or uh, science fiction or end times or or the nineteen fifties. Whatever kind of period of human history, Call of Cthulhu is easily adaptable to and works very well in, uh, because at the end of the day, horror stories and the kind of collective narrative sharing of, of, of a tale um, you know, happens throughout human history. And, you know, Call of Cthulhu, again, mirrors that kind of that kind of device, really. So, yeah, I mean, there's many things I can say, but I think they're the, the broad strokes of, you know, what makes Call of Cthulhu a very strong yet flexible, you know, play experience. TTRPGs have been enjoying a, a bit of a renaissance here over the past few years. What kind of impact have you seen on uh, Call of Cthulhu? We bought out 7th edition, I guess, uh, I would say, you know, at the cusp of this kind of new golden age for tabletop roleplay. And certainly it played its part in kind of, you know, as I mentioned before, rejuvenating the game, bringing it to a wider audience and kind of reinvigorating, you know, an old rule set with some more modern um, sensibilities in terms of representation of the rules and how you use them. But on top of that, you know, in the in the years, you know, in the eight years since 7th edition came out, we've seen a, uh, a kind of resurgence of roleplaying through, you know, through various things, such as, you know, online games, you know, playing playing online has you know opened the possibilities of people being able to access a game a little bit more easily than than maybe before you know getting a getting a group of people around the table can be a challenging thing sometimes especially as people get older and have more family commitments and so forth but being able to kind of pop online and uh, do a two or three hour session online with friends anywhere in the world makes it you know very flexible and easy easy to do so i think that's that's a that's a really important factor and plus we have you know things like youtube and the whole kind of live play experience that people can now kind of engage you know with other groups and 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 watch you know people like critical role and so forth and penny arcade and all these other kind of well-known groups and playing you know a variety of role-playing games not just dnd and, and people get to sort of vicarious experience that and kind of then maybe kind of think to themselves hey th this looks quite good fun it's quite good fun to watch it but it may be even more fun to actually do it do it as well and so um i think that's been a, a you know good instigator of getting people to kind of um you know find out about role play get to see it and get to kind of get a feel for whether it's the kind of thing they might enjoy and then and then give it a go themselves uh, you know, and that's, you know, they're two kind of new things, I guess, in a sense, that really help to, um, again, re reinvigorate the whole kind of, you know, tabletop play market in that in that sense. So as a part of the 40th anniversary, talking about new players, Call of Cthulhu, you guys had re-released the, the starter set from, I think it was almost four years ago at this point, which is a product I had always recommended to people just getting into the game. And I think one of the big reasons for that is the 
their first booklet, uh, Alone Against the Flames, which is a, a single-player scenario written sort of in the stylings of a choose-your-own-adventure story. I think apart from being a great way to teach the game mechanics, Mike, was there any other reason for its inclusion in the starter set? Did you feel like there was something, uh, some sort of je ne sais quoi about it that you felt really captured the essence of what Call of Cthulhu is? Yeah, I mean, um, Alone Against the Flames was a solo scenario written by... Uh, uh, a good friend called Gavin Inglis. And um, I think what he managed to do with that solo play was kind of capture the kind of spirit of the game very, very easily and quickly. And and so by playing through it, you, you really get a sense of what the game is about. You get a sense that it's a mystery that you're trying to uncover. You get, you, you know, you get yourself into horrible situations very easily and find, you know, your character kind of suffering or even dying and you have to go back to the start and, you know, try it again. And so it kind of captured that kind of essence of a horror mystery, you know, that you immediately got the feel for. But importantly for me, with a, you know, a starting set, I want Wanted a, I wanted a box set that not only um, introduced people to Call of Cthulhu if they'd never you know, played the game before, I wanted a box set that would introduce people to role-playing if they'd never done that before. And for me, you know, uh, the kind of classic of a kind of a, a tabletop role-playing game starter set is you get you take it home, you start to read it, and then you realize I've got to read all of this, and now I've got to kind of now I've got to you know cajole I don't know three or five of my friends to get together, and then I can run it, and and it's kind of a you know it's not a big mountain to climb, but it is a mountain, it is a barrier to actually just getting into the game. So. I literally wanted that, you know, once you turn the first page of the first book, it says, right, pick up some dice and start playing. So you could literally, you know, pick up the box set or get it delivered. And that night you can open it and you can actually play Call of Cthulhu on your own. And so you can you get that experience and kind of get a feel immediately for the game and, you know, whether it's right for you or not. Um, and then having played the solo, uh, which, you know, gets you to roll up a character and teaches you how the you know the basic kind of core mechanics of the game you know rolling percentile dice and using skills and so forth so by the end of that solo adventure you've got pretty good grounding in playing call of cthulhu and then you know you're ready to go into the rest of the box set and actually start to introduce uh, friends or family into playing you know playing it as a you know a full-on uh, role-playing game but it was very important to me that you could do something with the box set as soon as you got it I think it's one of those things you you get all excited, you bought this new product and you get all excited and want to try it. And then you kind of realize, oh, I've got to read all these three books and I've got to, you know, learn these rules and then I've got to get friends together. And then oh, I can't be bothered. You know, I, I, <laughs> I wanted to make it as easy and as accessible as possible. And I think Alone Against the Flames, that solo chooser and adventure style you know, scenario was a great way to just, you know, get people to be able to understand and enjoy, you know, enjoy a game immediately, basically. I think you did a really good job in that regard. I actually played the game with my wife, who's never played role-playing games, you know, so much like you were saying, like your target audience is not only somebody who may not have played Call of Cthulhu before, but may never have played role-playing games before. And she found it very intuitive. And I think that that really speaks to the design of, of the starter set. But when I've talked to people outside of the Call of Cthulhu sphere, I feel like the game garnered a bit of a reputation for being a very brutal game where investigators either die or they go insane left and right. But I think 7th edition does does a lot to combat this issue. And I think one of the ways it does this is by going through older scenarios like Paper Chase that's featured in the starter set 
and sort of reworking or retooling some of those encounters and, you know, maybe tweaking the numbers a bit. But I'm curious, Mike, what are what are some of the aspects of older scenarios that you sort of focus your efforts on when when updating them for seventh edition? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, what you've got to remember, yeah, it's a 40 year old game and you're dealing with scenarios that are 40 to 30 years old, some of them. And you've got to, you know, maybe if you're me, then you can remember at the time what it was like when they first came out. Maybe if you're younger than I, you know, you, you, obviously that's that's going to be more of a problem to understand why games were written that way. But back in the day, you know, games were very much um, an emulation of, you know, what was then and still today is to kind of the market leader with D&D and very combat orientated. Role play obviously grew out of wargaming. And so early role playing, it was, it was very combat intensive and when you combine that with a horror game you know and you and if you keep in mind you know like a horror film like a zombie film or something yeah people are dying left and right in a horror film and so that was kind of part of the um the ideology behind the original kind of version of call of cthulhu is that you know, it's a horror game where people are going to die and that's that's cool however yeah you know, even at the time I, I struggled with that kind of ethos in that you know well if all the characters die <laughs> we stop playing the game you know, because they're all dead, you know, unless we kind of shoehorn some new characters in, you know, at, you know, at the drop of a hat, uh, we've, we've kind of ended the game because all the characters have just been eaten by a shoggoth. And there wasn't really, in a lot of old scenarios, a lot of kind of alternatives to combat. You know, a monster would be there and pretty much it was deemed that you would fight the monster or maybe you would run away. And that was the kind of the, the, the two alternatives to most encounters, run away or get eaten. And so Call of Cthulhu, you know, not unfairly kind of you know people would kind of you know say that you know everyone just goes dead or you know, everyone dies all the time you know you, you can't really get into the game and so uh when you kind of retool all this older scenarios what you're looking to do is kind of build in a range of options so it isn't you know so if, if the players do decide they want to go and fight the shoggoth or the you know the strange alien monster yeah that you know they do so understanding that you know there's a, there is a, a potential and a high risk of character death here if they really engage in that way if they're unprepared perhaps but equally you're trying to present other options you know are, are there other ways they can deal with this thing can they could they just sneak around it you know and get you know move or you know, use it as an obstacle rather than a uh, rather than a death challenge and looking at kind of ways you can build in you know alternative alternative routes through the scenario effectively so you know different groups do different things and um you try and build in a range of options uh, to, you know, to facilitate, you know, differences in play in terms of each group. And so that's a lot about it. And as you say, there's a little bit about, you know, looking at uh, looking at how some of the mechanics work in a particular, you know, uh, interaction and, and maybe, you know, balancing that a little bit more or, or, get, or at least giving players more forewarning that, you know, if they go through the cellar door, there's something horrible down there. So, did, you know, give them the choice. Do they want to go through the cellar door? You know, so those kind of things you kind of take into account and kind of build in with a, you know, a more kind of modern sensibility. Times have changed. You know, role-playing has changed. You know, role-playing, as I say, has you know, been around over 40, 40 years now. And so, you know, games games evolve and play play evolves as well. And so 7th edition is, a, is an evolution of the game and, and, and how role-playing is nowadays in that sense. And that, uh, you know, I want people to enjoy the scenarios and, and find some sort of satisfactory ending. And that doesn't necessarily mean they survive it. You know, it could mean you can play Call of Cthulhu and have a very satisfactory ending for your character by your character dying. If the death is meaningful in the context of the story that you're, you know, that you're creating. It's uh, what, what, what people find frustrating, I think, about some of the early 
kind of uh, role play material, particularly you know in Call of Cthulhu, as we're talking about it, is is character death happening for no good reason, and that's just ultimately kind of frustrating. You know, you want you know you invest in your character, and you want them to do well, but you know as long as they're their actions and the consequences of those actions have some context and meaning within the game and within the story, then that's far more satisfying. It's it's generally unsatisfying if your character just dies because of one bad dice roll or because the way the scenario is designed is that if you if you fall, you fail your climb roll, if you climb across this um, you know ravine or whatever, you drop and your character is instantly dead. Well, that's no fun, is it? I mean, you know, and there's plenty of things in role playing you can do to mitigate that and give the character, you know, more chances to escape certain death, you know, and make it, you know, make it a risky enterprise. But by just having the character die because of one bad dice roll, you know, at the end of the day, you know, is 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 you know, generally pretty frustrating. So that's the kind of thing we look to kind of, you know, redevelop and uh, change up. Really, you know, there is a lot of that kind of one roll death kind of mechanic in, in a lot of early scenarios that we, you know, we just kind of remove that now or put in a range of alternatives and uh, to kind of make it a little bit more um, flexible, really. You uh, mentioned that uh, 7th edition has brought back uh, some old players of the game and I started playing back in uh, 1989 and have played off and on since. What can uh, sort of a, a player like myself who may have picked up an earlier edition of Call of Cthulhu expect if they were to pick up the uh, the re-release starter set? I mean, ultimately, I would, you know, hand on heart say the starter set ne- isn't necessarily a product for you. However, if you've not really come um, across the new version of the rules, then, then that would be a reason to do so, because obviously it will guide you into some of the changes and uh, evolution of the rules that come through in the the current edition seventh edition in terms of the kind of the tweaks and things like that we're looking at uh, again uh, kind of building a little bit more player agency into the actual mechanics also kind of trying to remove some of the uh, more gnarly bits of the old rules you know for instance um, in older editions of call of cthulhu one of the mechanics was called grappling and it was literally you know non-lethal combat i, I still have yet never yet found anyone who could tell me what the grappling rules are you know that makes sense <laughs> that everyone everyone's got their own version of the grappling rules as in they've house ruled it to make it kind of work because the original rules didn't really gel uh, and didn't really um weren't really uh clear in terms of how how you use them uh, and so we kind of you know re-looked at that whole thing in seventh edition and uh, actually kind of translated that into what we call combat maneuvers which just work you know, much more simply and work in line with everything else in combat in terms of the same kind of roles you're making and the skills you're using. And we just made it a lot clearer and easier to use effectively. And a lot of 7th edition is about streamlining the rules, making things a little quicker and making them easier and, and hopefully more intuitive and iron, ironing out some of the, you know, the rougher edges from the earlier editions of the game. But as I say, thing, you know, things like optional rules like luck spending, where you can utilise your luck stat to actually adjust uh, skill roles and so forth, which again, just kind of is a way to get around those issues where you may fail a roll by you know, one or two points. And it's kind of like, well, you know, what do I do now? Well, if you, you, know, you could just spend a couple of luck points and pass the roll, you know, and, but it's your choice to do so. There's also things like uh, pushing the roll where 
you know, you may fail a role, but you know, you you know, you you really want to try and you know succeed. So you you have a you are allowed to have a, a second and final attempt at that skill role. Uh, and in game, what that means is you are putting a more concerted effort into trying to achieve your goal, which is you know the the outcome of the skill role. And uh, that just means you are putting more on the line. And in a horror game, that kind of makes sense in that that if you put more on the line. The consequences of failure are actually worse than if you just tried and failed. You know, it's like, as I say, it's like trying to uh, trying to open a door that's locked, and you you know you try and uh, break the door down, but you fail on the first attempt. Okay, so now you have a choice. Do you do you really want to push the door down? Do you really want to throw your entire body weight and take a running jump at the door to to knock it down? Yeah. Okay. Well, that would be a push roll. But you know, it's clear that you know if you're doing that. You know, if it fails, something bad's going to happen. Maybe you make so much noise, you alert some, you know, villain or monster that's going to come looking for you. Or maybe you hurt yourself by throwing yourself at this door that's, you know, far more stronger than you originally thought or any other kind of consequence that may be in the context of the story. And so, again, it kind of builds into that horror trope of, you know, the more you do, the more you put on the line, the more you have to risk. And uh, so it mirrors it mirrors that kind of um, horror kind of sensibility in that, uh, you know, things can get worse, you know, even if you succeed sometimes. It's it's funny you you mentioned that because I actually think that this starter set does have some things uh, that veteran players may want. And I think keenly in book three, there's a bunch of uh, really nice scenarios that are either good for one shots or uh, you've written them in such a way that they can sort of be play it as an episodic campaign, which I really love the idea of. Not every campaign needs to be Masks of Narlethotep. What aspect of the starter set do you think you're most proud of, Mike? Um, it's difficult. I mean, I, I am you know, kind of proud of the whole thing. I just I feel that it, it, it kind of achieves what I wanted to do, as I said, you know, to introduce somebody to the game. And so by going through the by going through the books in the box and playing through the, you know, the four scenarios in there, by the end of that, I I feel that you know you would be a pretty, a pretty accomplished keeper. You know, able to then pick up anything really and and give it a go in terms of the uh, the other kind of supplements and campaigns and scenarios for the game. I really just wanted to kind of it's kind of like a uh, uh, GM kind of uh, training camp in a sense, you know, loosely termed. But I think you're quite right. You know, they, there are there are uh, as well as Alone Against the Flames the three the three of the scenarios in there that start off, you know, as a kind of a one-on-one or one-and-two-player scenario paper chase, they build on each other. And so, uh, you know, you can add more players, you know, as you go through the scenarios and you've got it like effectively a full kind of play group playing through the scenarios. And, um, you know, an experienced, you know, Call of Cthulhu veteran in that sense, you know, would, uh, you know, if they don't own the originals, they could certainly uh, get some value out of picking up these newer versions of them, which again have been tailored to the the latest edition of the of the rules. So they you know they work uh, straight off the page in that way. Okay, Mike. So I've let's say I've purchased the starter set, I've played through Alone Against the Flames, and I've, you know, glanced through the introductory rules and I'm I'm ready to run one of the scenarios for a couple of my friends. What what advice would you give to me as a first time keeper? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's not to sweat it really. It's not to worry too much about it. I mean, the the the, the, the true truism is you won't you won't remember all the rules. You know, even even though it's a uh, you know a cut down 
core mechanic kind of rule book in the in the book that gives you a pretty much a full gaming experience for Call of Cthulhu. You know, there are there are, you know, especially if you're newer to role playing, there's a lot of things to remember and sometimes you you know you're not gonna remember them offhand straight away. So my advice is not to swell it too much and just think about, you know, in a situation where you're a bit shaky on a particular rule, perhaps. It's not to shake, not to worry too much. You've got two options, really. You can either kind of wing it and just kind of, okay, what's what would be the logical thing to do in this situation? I'm just going to make a call and uh, maybe call for a particular role or whatever it may be, and just you know find your way through it in a in a in a reasonable you know logical way. And the the other option is to say, hey, let's just take a let's just take a break, let's get a drink or whatever, and in that break, just you know open the uh, the little book two, which is the the core rules, and just you know refresh your memory, and then you're good to go. Really, I mean, it, it's really you know it's about the play experience at the end of the day. The rules are there to help you; they're not meant to be you know a straitjacket and constraint that you know you have to get them all exactly right first time. You know, we all. It's a learning process for both the keeper and the players, and everyone everyone's learning together effectively. So it's okay to kind of you know take a break and check something, or or just roll with it. And you know as long as everyone's you know feels uh, you know happy to kind of and comfortable with the situation, then you know just just roll through it. And uh, at the end of the day, the core mechanic most people are going to remember that pretty easily. You know you make a d hundred roll, and you need to roll equal to or under the the skill level that particular character has. You know, you can get by with just knowing that pretty much uh, pretty easily. And um, anything else, you know, you can look up maybe during game or after game. Just, you know, look up after the game. Just recheck what you did against some of the rules and just check, did I get that right? Did I get it? You know, did I, did I have that set? And if not, you know, you learn from the experience. So next time, you know, you're up to speed. Uh, but uh, ultimately, you know, enjoy. You know, it's about it's a game at the end of the day. And it's a game that we want to enjoy playing with our friends. And so that's really the key. That's the most important. Whether you got the rules right or wrong is completely secondary to that. It's about, did you have a great time playing this game? If you did, then great. Everything else will follow. The more you do, the more experience you become, the more stuff will just stick in your head uh, and you'll be ready to take on you know, that challenge again. And in three years, you'll have finally read through masks and you'll start reading through masks and... <laughs> And it will all spiral down from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not. I mean, you know, we did a lot of work in the new, the new edition of Masters of Nathotep to to make it a, an easier kind of campaign to run. Although it's admittedly a very large campaign with a lot of moving parts, you know, we tried to add in a lot of additional guidance and a lot more kind of internal navigation into that campaign to make the keeper's job a lot easier than maybe what it had been previously. Um, less kind of having to improvise or think on their feet. So, you know, try to make it a little bit more of a, a, a more welcoming and user-friendly kind of version of the campaign. But admittedly, it's not something I would recommend anyone, you know, reasonably new to the game to kind of head straight into. There's, uh, there's plenty of other kind of scenarios and smaller campaigns to kind of really kind of get under your belt and get feel confident and, and uh, ready to take on something, you know, bigger like masks in, in good time. I am... Um... Personally, now at that time myself, I've been, I think, keeping for about five years now. Yeah. And I'm just finally running my first mass campaign next week. So that's a, that feels very much like an honor and a rite of passage, as I call the Cthulhu Keeper. But Mike, let's, let's say I'm a new player and I've run, I've run the scenarios in the box and I'm hooked and I want more. Where, where do I start? Do I start obviously with getting the Keeper rule book so I get the rest of the rules, but but where do I go from there? Well, I mean, you, you've got a you have got a couple of choices really. You could, as you say, um, the kind of the logical 
uh, option for many people would pick up the you know the Call of Cthulhu uh, Keeper rulebook, which is effectively you know the core book for the game. All the rules for the game are in that book, and it comes with loads of additional material in terms of you know uh, lots of monsters and spells and advice on running the game and and two you know full scenarios in there as well. So that's enough. You know, many people to you know for the next step. However. Yeah, because you've got you know effectively a, 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 a you know it's, although it's slightly cut down, it is effectively the full rules of the game in the starter set. You could just actually pick up you know one of our scenario collections and and, uh, and get some more kind of experience with running scenarios under your belt before you start to introduce you know the full rules of the game. And there's a couple of books that I you know point people towards. One is called Gateways to Terror, which is um, three. Uh, three short scenarios that can each of them can be played in a single evening with uh, you know two to you know two to six people uh, plus the uh, the keeper GM and um, they, again they, they they are written specifically for newer players newer keepers uh, they're not heavily complex most of them only take place in a single location so you know it's much easier to kind of um, get a handle on what's happening and where where it is and those those are great um, you know beginning scenarios in that way and equally there's a book that we do called doors to darkness which has got five scenarios and again they are specifically written for newer players and newer keepers who are just starting out and again they're they're, um they're you know full-on you know scenario adventures but you know they're not overly complex they're they're pretty uh, straightforward and they come with lots of additional guidance on you know how to do them options for the keeper and some advice on when they get to certain points in the game what could happen here what they might do what the players might do and so forth and also that book actually includes a uh, an initial essay uh, just on some more advice about you know how to run call of cthulhu you know, that builds on the material in the core rule book. Uh, and so you get that kind of extra extra kind of value and benefit in that book as well. So those two are, you know, are really good places to start, as, as, as you say, the, uh, the full keeper rule book. I know that uh, one of uh, Nate's favorite things are the, uh, the source books and setting material that uh, is available for Call of Cthulhu. And I, and I feel the same way. I, I love uh, digging into some of those source books that uh, you've created, whether it's for the, the Dark Ages or the Roaring Twenties or the Weird West. What have been some of your uh, favorite settings to, to work on? Yeah, I think um, I really enjoyed working on Down Darker Trails, which is the, uh, as you just mentioned, the kind of the, uh, the Wild West kind of version of Call of Cthulhu set in the late 1800s uh, in the uh, American West. And uh, so it's dealing with very kind of classic yeah, not only kind of classic kind of Western tropes, but also you know horror tropes as well, and combining them together and doing that kind of spooky, you know, haunted, uh, haunted at West kind of uh, you know setting, and um, and that was a lot of fun to do. And uh, the other one um, that was particularly enjoyable was the the nineteen twenties source book on Berlin, uh, which is called Berlin: The Wicked City, and uh, in that kind of nineteen twenties era, kind of. You know, between you know the Great War and the and the Second World War and the rise of Hitler and so forth, you've got this kind of period in German history, which is the you know, the Weimar Republic, where it's this kind of really hedonistic city with lots of arts going on and science and a real kind of aspirational kind of setting. But 
you've got this dark cloud hanging over it that's because you know you're heading into this one of the worst times in human history is just around the corner and uh, so that kind of um that kind of shadow presents a, a really interesting kind of dynamic in that setting and uh, and as you say one of the one of the joys of uh, a lot of the supplements and setting books of colloquial is not only the kind of the game material but the history material you know i'm always you know as i'm as I'm researching or writing or editing these books, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably well versed in history. You know, I've done a lot in, you know, and uh, so forth at college and so on. But, but I'm always, I'm still learning things as I, you know, as I edit or, or, or research things myself about different aspects of, of a particular era, be it the Dark Ages or the 1920s or whatever. It, you know, you pick up these little tidbits that actually are really great scenario hooks really that oh that would that that's a really cool idea that would that would make a really cool scenario so let's put it in and hope it inspires somebody else in the same way and uh but also that all that kind of material also helps to inform not only the keeper in terms of how they bring you know each of the settings to life in a in a real tangible you know touch taste and feel kind of way they also help to inform the players in terms of you know what what people were like at that point you know what 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 they what they could do what was the social conventions and playing those social conventions is often a lot of fun you know we're about to um in a short while we'll be releasing a new kind of setting supplement book called um, regency cthulhu set in the kind of the early 1800s the film the madness of king george where the king of england was effectively insane and so his son became the prince regent and ruled in that that period and england in that time it's all kind of the the england of jane austen with very kind of um you know particular style of etiquette and you know uh, gentleman gentlemanly and lady behavior and and all that kind of thing and it's a really interesting setting because you're dealing with this kind of all these social conventions and and yet there's this horror you know down in the cellar you've got to deal with and how do you how do you do that you know while you're still trying to obey the laws of society as well so it's, it kind of places kind of these moral dilemmas on players in terms of you know should their character do this or that and what would the consequences be for either and you know what what you know what's the best way through it and that's one of the um one of the kind of you know joys of Call of Cthulhu is it's because you're playing relatively normal people but dealing with these difficult situations they sometimes have to make these kind of moral choices these kind of do do we you know rob Peter to pay Paul is if we do that does it is that the best outcome for us and them or you know do we you know do we do I sacrifice myself to save many people or you know is one better than many and on all these kind of questions often come up in Call of Cthulhu games where you're set these kind of challenges where there is no right or wrong answer there's only the lesser of two evils often and and you know it's finding your way through that in a way that kind of makes sense for you as a player in your group is uh, can often be you know very enjoyable and challenging um, and memorable as well you know as a, as a play experience yeah that's one of my favorite parts about uh, call of cthulhu especially as a keeper there's there's so much historical material out there that you can take a just about any event from history and just give it a a slight mythos twist and all of a sudden you have a a scenario on your hands and not only do you have a scenario but you've got usually you have enough background information to um, really sort of build it out from there quite easily and I think the source books do a, a fantastic job of of helping keepers in that way. Yeah, well, that, that's great to hear. It's nice to nice to get that kind of feedback to hear that they're kind of doing their job in that way. But you're absolutely right. You can pick up a 
a copy of the Fourteen Times or look on some sort of website that collects kind of you know spooky and strange happenings and and pretty much build a scenario as you say out of that. And and the other thing is you know don't be don't feel constrained to you know tweaking it to the Cthulhu mythos. You, you know the, in the um, in the uh, the core rule book. Uh, there's a whole section of monsters which we call traditional horrors. So if you want to play with ghosts and vampires and zombies and werewolves and have nothing to do with the Cthulhu mythos and just kind of play it like a like a hammer horror film in that sense, um, you can do that. The game works equally well with that kind of uh, those kind of horrors. You don't have to have Cthulhu in the game if you don't want to. And so you can play, you know, you can play quite traditional kind of horror stories with the game as well. It just comes down to what you know. What floats your boat, really, in terms of you know what what are you looking for from the game and and that play experience as a group of people? Yeah, I feel like Paper Chase particularly is a scenario that if you didn't tell me that that was a ghoul, you know, I might suspect that that's a werewolf or something like that. Like that's that's a scenario that could easily be devoid of any mythos and still function as a Call of Cthulhu scenario, like you said. Going back to um to the source setting books, you know, I I just love how those books make it make the game almost feel like sort of another game entirely in a way, like you were mentioning earlier with uh, Regency Cthulhu is, you know, these sort of different social expectations that you can really play up in, in those games really do make them feel like different games entirely, which is really cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, playing, uh, playing, you know, characters out in the rest, playing, you know, a, 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 an old West school teacher and the, and the, and the sheriff's deputy deputies, you know, it's going to feel different to playing, you know, the librarian and the taxi driver in the 1920s or even in the modern day. You know, you play and maybe you're a bunch of computer programmers in the modern day. And then, you know, it's ultimately, you know, your occupations as characters kind of help to inform, you know, that that kind of feel and experience you have. And so they, they can feel quite different. There is one book that kind of makes things really different, and that's Pulp Cthulhu. Uh, which is a um, a supplement that kind of you've got a set of rules in Pulp Cthulhu that just kind of bolt into the main rules pretty easily, but it allows you to kind of um, play uh, kind of larger than life characters. Uh, you know, if you want, if you feel that you wanted your characters to have even more agency in the game and not be quite so frail and weak, Pulp Cthulhu allows you to kind of play in that with in in you know in a, in a pulp vein. So it's kind of like you know Indiana Jones versus Cthulhu. You're playing these characters that have you know uh, double the number of hit points and they have uh, a little bit more kind of um, agency in terms of the skills they have. And they are able to kind of use their luck in a, in, a, in a number of ways to even even to kind of fend off certain death in certain cases or to, you know, to make sure their gun doesn't jam when they roll a fumble or all that kind of thing. They just allow even more kind of player agency for groups that kind of you know, want to play Cthulhu, but don't want to play, you know, don't want to play the kind of the more darker, gritty kind of standard version of Call of Cthulhu. There's a kind of a slightly more where the fun is a little bit more increased in terms of that kind of like slightly gung ho, crazy kind of. You know, pulp style. Pulp Cthulhu, you know, does that. And again, you know, with the pulp rules, you can apply them to any any scenario that we do. And uh, most of our games will have some sort of, you know, advice on if you're going to use this with Pulp Cthulhu, here's what you might do to change things up for that kind of style of game. So, you know, we try and present the game in a, in a as you say, in a, in a variety of kind of modes to really for each group to kind to find the, the, the size and fit that's right for them. Because every group's different and every group is looking for a you know slightly different experience at different times and so trying to you know present a, a wide range of flexibility uh, just means you know hopefully you can find the shape that's right for you for for a particular game that you want to run and speaking of games to run there's also plenty of campaigns as well i think 
we have what almost half a dozen at this point, and at least for seventh edition, and then there's numerous more for previous editions. Uh, oh yeah. I, I, if I if I remember correctly, you released or rather re-released uh, Beyond the Mountains of Madness in its original form last year. Is that correct, Mike? That's right. Yeah, it's one of those campaigns we've we've not been able to. Um, really get around to doing a full kind of update into the new edition. But one of the beauties of Call of Cthulhu is that even though we're talking about the latest edition, 7th edition, and there are some false changes, they're actually really minor. You know, you can actually just pick up a, a, a you know an older edition scenario or campaign and run it with 7th edition. In fact, at the back of the rule book, and, and you can actually download these for free on Drive, Drive Through RPG, are the conversion guide which is only a handful of pages and it's really very simple things uh, that you, you just you just change on the fly. You don't have to do a lot of preparation. So we were able to put out Beyond the Mountains of Madness, which is a kind of a classic kind of campaign where they, the, the characters all go off to Antarctica and find, you know, ancient mysteries in the ice and be able to kind of play that either with an old edition if you're, you know, a long time player or just, you know, convert it on the fly to use with the current edition of the game. But yeah, we, we, Call of Cthulhu is one of those games that kind of, there's kind of two modes of play, and sometimes perhaps we don't make this clear enough, is that uh, there's a campaign style of play where you are, you know, playing a story over a length of, you know, a length of time over a series of, you know, interconnected scenarios, even, you know, partly or, or fully interconnected. And so you're playing with the same characters and, and, you know, developing them and seeing where they end up. And that's, you know, that allows you to get a very immersive, long-term kind of, you know, fun experience. But equally, Call of Cthulhu, like we talked about some of the scenarios in the starter set, is a, is a great game for one-shots as well. You can play, you know, treat a one-shot like a, like a horror film or a horror story, you know, with a beginning, middle and an end. And, you know, your characters only are only in the game for that one scenario. So all bets are off. They, they, they could uh, they could die like in a horror film or crazy things could happen and the whole world could blow up at the end of it, you know, because it's a, it's a self-contained story. So it works very well uh, in convention play for that kind of thing. And if you're just having a, a one session, one night kind of game, you know, the kind of scenarios I mentioned from Doors to Darkness or Gateways to Terror or the ones in the sunset, you know, can really easily accommodate that kind of style of play too. So it just comes down to, you know, do you, do you want to, does everyone, you know, want to get into this in a deep way and play a long campaign and tell this grand kind of epic story? Or does everyone just want to get together and, you know, raise some hell and play a one shot where the, the fate of the world is at stake? Then yeah, you can do that as well. So that's, that's one of the things that I've always loved about Call of Cthulhu is you can play it in very different ways. I think one thing I particularly have been enjoying with some of the newer releases that you uh, that you've been doing over at Chaosium is I really like the more open-ended source books, quote-unquote, like uh, Malice Monstrum and more recently Cults of Cthulhu that sort of give tools to the Keeper to be able to either flesh out their own scenarios or their own campaigns based on certain aspects of the mythos. Uh, Mike, what was... What were some of the things that you wanted to tackle in Cults of Cthulhu? Call of Cthulhu, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all storytellers. You know, most role players are storytellers, you know, especially if they become the GM in some kind. You know, that we've all got stories we want to tell. You know, humans, you know, since the dawn of time have told stories and we love it. We love telling stories and we love hearing stories. And so um, books like Cults of Cthulhu and Malleus Monstrum are really you know, books of inspiration to to help you tell your story or the story that you want to create. And so Cults of Cthulhu, um, the main kind of um, 
you know, dynamic for wanting to do this book is that the game's called Call of Cthulhu. Yet Cthulhu as an entity, as this kind of, you know, classic monster, this alien guard, has rarely actually featured in the game. It's been like everyone but Cthulhu in most of the scenarios and campaigns and source material. And when we were coming up to the 40th anniversary, I just thought, well, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we finally did a book that was just about Cthulhu? And so we could finally kind of get really get to grips with Cthulhu using Cthulhu in in our games and so that was really where the the cults of Cthulhu book came from which is a source book uh, which describes you know the kind of the nature of you know why humans kind of turn to these kind of alien godlike beings and worship them and become you know in the game terms cultists and you know evil people effectively uh doing bad things to kind of you know you know for various various personal agendas and so forth and how the how the cthulhu mythos as a whole kind of corrupts and and changes them uh, we wanted a kind of book to help you kind of design your own cult. You know, we what we, in the book it contains various examples, and some you can just pull straight from the book and use as as written. But there's also a lot of guidance on terms of you know how to create your own your own cult, uh, and you know who who leads it, what 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 are their motivations, who are the rank and file members, and what's their overall mission, what are they trying to achieve, and that allows you to obviously build that and then use that as your the basis to then tell stories in game and uh, you know to to tell you know design mysteries uh, it also comes with three pretty large scenarios one one set in victorian london one set in la during the 1920s and one set in on the uh, on the east coast of the us in the modern day so again to try and you know be very flexible and show you could use these anywhere and although you know it is about cthulhu uh, and the Cthulhu cult in general, the principles and the kind of the mechanics on designing your cult, you can actually just apply to any of the kind of the mythos horrors. You know, if you wanted to to use a different kind of alien god rather than Cthulhu, and maybe it's Hastor or the King in Yellow or Sothogura, uh, the same principles apply. You just change the name and, and you can still come up with a cult that's appropriate to that kind of alien monster so we wanted to make it you know a, a versatile interactive kind of thing you know for people to 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 use and to inspire them to tell their own stories with so call of cthulhu has celebrated 40 years recently and looking forward you know we had mentioned uh regency cthulhu earlier in the episode uh which is a setting that i am very excited for as uh as someone who grew up with a lot of Jane Austen in the uh, in the air, uh, Mike, I'm curious what are what are some other products or releases that players and keepers can look forward to? Sure. Well, as you said, we we only just released Call of Cthulhu in in print book form. We also uh, just released a, a new campaign, which is particularly geared at uh, uh, more kind of less experienced keepers, called A Time to Harvest, which isn't as uh, it isn't as big as masks. It's not as not got as many moving parts and it's a lot simpler to run so it's a, it's a great campaign for people who are just starting out with the game to kind of get a grip for grip on campaign play so those two have just come out um, and as i say regency cthulhu is uh, you know uh, will be coming along you know in the near future but currently um i'm working on um uh, an update and a new edition of cthulhu by gaslight which is the victorian era 
Call of Cthulhu. So, you know, late 1800s, you know, the time of Jack the Ripper and the London Fog and all of that. And um, so we have um, a new edition of Call of, Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu by Gaslight um, in the works at the moment. And um, it's actually going to be um, a slight change of format to how it's originally been produced. Originally, it was one book that kind of was really just for keepers. It kind of had the kind of character generation and uh, scenarios for that kind of setting. But we wanted something that players could actually really get hold of and use and make their own. So we've actually created two books for Gaslight. There's a player-facing book and a keeper-facing book. And the player book has uh, character generation, lots of setting material about, you know, what is Victorian London? What's the Victorian era like? You know, what things would be useful for them to know? Lots about, you know, different aspects of, of the you know, the Victorian setting for players to kind of be able to kind of digest and take on and, you know, use in the game as as well as um, a, a version, you know, a version of the the core kind of rules are in that book as well. So, I mean, if you've, even if you've not picked up the starter set or the uh, the core rule book of Call of Cthulhu, you can pick up the Gaslight player book and it's got the rules for you to start playing in there as well. So that's that's really cool. Uh, and the the Keeper version, the Keeper Gaslight book is, you know, all the all the secret stuff. It's all the, you know, all the, all the complications a keeper can bring in their games, uh, all the kind of different kind of characters and uh, NPCs and uh, uh, and scenarios uh, are included as well, and you know what the mythos is doing during the Victorian age and so on. So those two books kind of you know together form Gaslight. But again, you know if you're a keeper, you really only need to buy the one, and if you're a player, you only need to buy the one. So hopefully that makes it a little bit more flexible and versatile for people. And what's really cool is we've got a brand new. Uh, or two brand new books coming to follow those kind of uh, core Gaslight books. We've got a, a new campaign for Gaslight, which is called The Curse of Seven, which is um, informed by, you know, British horror writers of that time. Uh, so, you know, M.R. James and uh, Arthur Macon and so forth. And, and um, there's a, a bunch of scenarios that kind of, you know, build together to kind of give this, you know, view of, you know, Victorian society and, and this dark kind of underside and uh, and then we've also got a, a, a collection of scenarios that aren't that are in the campaign. Obviously, you could string them together if you wanted to do that way, but they also work as one shots. And again, they present you know the Victorian era in different ways with different themes and horrors. And what I like about Gaslight is because it links up with Down Darker Trails, you know, the Wild West setting we were talking about, because they happen at the same time. So you can actually join them together and have people either start out as down darker trails characters out in the west and they for some whatever reason they travel across the country and end up in you know victorian england or europe and you know you can kind of seamlessly join them together or you know the alternative you know you start out in victorian london and then end up on a boat to the east coast and end up you know wandering around you know victorian era new york or boston and uh, and then take a stagecoach and you end up in you know the wild west kind of brings the other side of the coin to the whole kind of you know, late 1800s, sorry, late 1800s era. Um, so that, that excites me because, you know, that just creates something new and allows, you know, even more kind of, um, you know, even more kind of interesting kind of stories to be told and kind of adventures to be made. I am very excited. I've been like giddy in my chair listening to all of this. I was not aware that <laughs> you guys were working on a, a gaslight. That's very exciting for me. As I've been uh, running a pulp uh, Down Darker Trails campaign for the past year now. So very excited. For oh, that. that sounds uh, great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's one of the, there's one. Of, I mean, I can tell you about one of the book that's, uh, again, getting into uh, production now that uh, has all been written and I've finished my editorial on it and uh, 
well finished writing it to be honest is the um a new a new edition of um arkham which is uh arkham is the fictional kind of town created by hp lovecraft uh, in his stories where a lot of the kind of cthulhu mythos stories take place in the fiction and uh, originally um put out a book of arkham in you know various iterations over the years but um it's been out of print for some time and uh so this is a new kind of reimagining of arkham it builds on the previous editions but adds in loads more kind of uh, information for keepers loads more kind of plot hooks and seeds lots of npcs and and uh, you know uh, strange mythos goings on and kind of maps out the entire town and becomes effectively a fantastic you know pre-built sandbox for anyone to kind of you know use as a basis for you know a campaign for call of cthulhu and obviously within arkham you've got miskatonic university so whether you're playing you know people who live and work in arkham or whether you're playing students at miskatonic university and you know they all get hooked up into some kind of strange you know alien horrors and mysteries you know that's uh that book, you know, caters for that kind of style of play as well. Oh, I'm sure many of our listeners are going to be very excited about a Arkham source book. Uh, that's that's all very exciting news. So it sounds like there is a lot to be excited for um, in in the future. Uh, but before we wrap up the episode, Mike, is there anything else that you would like to to say or possibly shout out before we uh, wrap things up today? Um, I, I mean, apart from you know, thanks for thanks for chatting and and. Uh, having the opportunity to talk about the game and so forth, you know, much appreciated. Um, I think, you know, I just go back to, you know, what we talked about, about if you're just kind of thinking about giving this a try, the starter set is, is really your best first point of you know, call, really. It really does kind of help to introduce you to the game and get a feel for it. And because it's a low price point, it's not a big investment to make. You can get the PDF you know very cheaply or by the you know by the print box set and as i say the whole point of the game whole point of the box set is not only to teach you the game so you can go on playing it so to give you that you know relatively low cost barrier to just give the game a try and see whether it's the kind of game for you because at the end of the day you know let's be fair not everything suits everyone and so you know you may find that you know you find call of cthulhu and yeah you can join but it's not really your thing or you pick it up and you give it a go and you find actually, you know, this is exactly, exactly the butter on my bread and, you know, I love it and I want to give it, you know, I want to do more. And, you know, the starter set is, is you know, designed to kind of give you that taste so you can make an informed decision about, you know, is this the game that's going to really work for you and your players, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a great place to start off. But as I say, don't sweat the rules. You know, it's all about having fun. It's all about telling some cool stories that you all enjoy and develop together. And, uh, and that's what that's what's most important at the end of the day is it's coming away going, yeah, we had a great time doing it. Maybe we forgot half of the rules as we did it. That doesn't matter. You know, as long as you came away and you had a good time, that's what we're that's what we're talking about. Well, thank you very much for coming on to the show, Mike. It's been a pleasure to have you on and discuss Call of Cthulhu. If for any of those interested in purchasing the starter set, uh, we will put links in the show notes of this episode, along with uh, the free scenario, the haunting and the quick start rules that are also available on Chaosium's website. If for for some reason the uh, the low entry of the starter set is not quite what you're looking for, well. The Haunting is also a very great scenario as well. Again, thank you to Mike for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Nate, and with me today was... I'm the man from Lang. And we will see you all in the next episode. 